Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Decova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If everything seems under control, you're just not going fast enough. Mario Andretti. Pretty, I have a good pace, like I have a good shot at the record, but it's like, if I don't take a 10 or 12 minute nap, like I don't think I can mentally or anything even make it to the end. So that was a, a really scary decision of like, let's just sleep and try to reset the body and then woke up and shot out of a cannon. It was like adrenaline, like crazy. But leading into that decision to sleep, I woke up on the ground at one point because I'd fallen asleep while uh, doing a little hobble jog down the, uh, near Tyndall Creek or something and I just woke up on the like uh, sandy or gravelly ground and it was like oh dear this is not good I have a long ways to go and I can't even stay awake while running I'm Doc and this is the John Freaking Mirpod Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags and hiker trash. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right. 
buckle up and put on your helmets because I am talking to one of our favorite guests this week. Welcome back to the John Freaking Muir Pod for a record-tying fourth time, the new holder of the unsupported fastest known time for the John Muir Trail, legendary madman and endurance athlete, Jeff Garmeyer. How's it going, Jeff? Going great. Wow. I didn't realize I've been on this four times, but you know, time flies when you're having fun. That's right. And I may have said record tying fourth time. This might be record setting because Ginger Balls has been on three times and we have a fourth time schedule, but at, that, that interview is not coming until later. So right now you are the current record holder. Man, this has been a good week for records, I guess. Which which record do you hold in, in higher esteem? The the J, JM, <laughs> uh, the JMT FKT or the, the JFM pod fourth appearance? Wow. Man, it's like choosing a favorite child. So I don't know that I can comment on that. <laughs> All right. Well, well played there. <laughs> hey, uh, just remind everybody, what is your trail name? My trail name's Legend. Got it when Legend? I was 20 years old by, uh, you know, helping bring some town food out to uh, our group of hikers that was camped out there. And then one older guy told me that with the trail name like that, you got to do something epic in the future. So I think I've been trying to just live up to my name ever since. Nice. You know, that's, that's like uh, parents who name their kids certain things to try and make them live up to that expectation. Yeah. I just had a friend, I talked to him and, something to do with warrior was the thing they named their child. And it's like, wow, okay. Big shoes to fill as a like seven pound human at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I was thinking maybe next time around I go with reader. 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 Okay. N not breeder, but reader. Reader. You know, like, read books. Yeah. 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 Like studious. <laughs> studious. I like that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where the money's at, you know. It's not in these FKTs, that's for sure. Yeah. Here here are my three kids. Let me introduce you. I've got uh, Reader, Studious, and Brainfart. <laughs> nice, yeah. We'll let you pick which one's our favorite, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Must Bring Gear Review. All right, Legend. You know, uh, we've been doing this Must Bring Gear Review sponsored by the Backpacking Gear Company six moon designs and i've kind of tailored it a little bit to uh, go with today's theme if you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for an fkt attempt on the jmt what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed so yeah Legend, I, what uh what's the must bring piece of gear on an on a jmt fkt yeah i used these uh they were actually sun gloves and they were fingerless but they worked perfect for being just enough warmth during the night but also really functional so I could still eat and unzip things and get to everything on the go. But I didn't really, I packed them as just like a safety thing to have like a little bit of warmth for the, the fingertips and stuff, but I didn't realize how versatile they would be. And just, uh, yeah, using sun gloves as for warmth and at night, it, uh, it was almost like hacked the system. I'd never done that before. And I was a little surprised how, uh, how well it worked and you could use anything from like the biker gloves that are fingerless but it keeps it just warm enough that you can still still use everything you need to use wow you spent a lot of time out on the trail you've got a lot of miles under your belt and you've got um you're still learning new stuff i mean it's not it's never too late to, to teach an old dog new tricks yeah exactly and even um as you do more things like the weather is always going to be different the terrain the uh, style you're doing and so yeah, there's, it feels like there's 
numerous things can pick up and learn and try out and figure out on each different uh, type of adventure since I'm really into doing everything from a slow three mile overnight to uh, a no sleep sprint through 220 miles. So uh, there's a lot of different styles and a lot of things to learn along the way. Now, I can't wait to get into the details of the 220 mile sprint, but um, let's just touch upon your gear. What 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 kind of gear did you take with you on the JMT? Uh, basically nothing. So I didn't have a tent. I didn't have a sleeping bag. I just had a down jacket, a light wind, the lightest weight uh, rain jacket I could find, and then a lightweight pair of pants that were like sweats. And then a change of socks, and that's pretty much it. I had two headlamps and a way to charge them, but that's yeah, very very little clothing and gear. Built, built for speed, right there. <laughs> yeah, it was like leave it all out there. Don't take anything extra. Yeah, and how how long ago was this? Uh, I finished a week ago, actually, almost exactly a week ago. Okay, and how you feeling these days? Uh, getting better every day. It's hard to cut out three days of sleep from your life and uh, feel human. So I'm still working back to that baseline, but slowly getting there. And we are recording here on Labor Day at about 10 o'clock in the morning. And even though you put your body through that and you went without sleep for three days, you're able to to uh, make sure that you're awake and logged in and right at the right time tonight, today. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, hit or miss for if I'm on time, but I did pretty good today. I think I was one minute late, which for me counts as on time. <laughs> nice. It's the hiking pole. Okay. Now, Legend, you've been on a few times and we've done various forms of hiking poles with you. We've done the serious hiking pole about, you know, hiking gear and mm -hmm. uh, opinions about, about hiking. So we already know your opinions on that. So we're going to, we're going to put that to the side. I think when you were on with Kevin and Gabe, we, and uh, we talked about the Cocodona. We also did a, a hiking pole with some, you know, some funny, interesting type questions. And I wanted to catch you off guard, so I I, uh, I have changed those questions up. I've got seven questions for you that are completely new, completely fresh. Um, probably could spend an episode or two on uh, on just these questions, but I want to get your hot take on these, hear the explanation, see where you fall one way or the other, so I can rate you on a scale from one to 100 on the sanity scale. You ready for this? Yeah, I don't think on my best day I would hit 100 for sanity level, but we'll see. You know, I usually say that, you know, the long distance hikers, people that have done the AT, the PCT, the CDT, there's an automatic 20 point deduction because, <laughs> you know, they are a bit crazy. I think someone with the uh, the JMT FKT, I think that's like a, a 40 point deduction. So your highest score today is, is 60. So I'm going to fail this before I even started. <laughs> well, it depends. It depends on your perspective, right? I mean, if you if you're if you're going for the crazy score, then you're excelling. Oh, perfect. Okay. We're going to yeah. look at it from that lens. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Attitude is everything. Yep. Here we go. All right. Question number one, the better accent, American or British? <laughs> uh, British. And uh, I actually, so when I finished, I had to hitch back to my car. I could have taken the bus, but I like adventure. So I hitched back to my car, 220 miles. And one of the um, rides I got was three British guys from... Uh, yeah, over here climbing and uh, they gave me a ride and they were so excited to get to pick up a hitchhiker and I got to listen to their accent for 30 minutes. So it was, uh, that one's easy. It was front, just front and center and got to witness that 
um, yeah, a week ago. And it was a, it was a different way uh, to hitch. I've never had someone so excited to have like a smelly, dirty person in their car. And did they realize who they had when they picked you up? I mean, any idea who, who Jeff Garmeyer is? No, we just uh, talked about mostly their hiking or their uh, climbing and uh, sleeping out in the woods adventures. And they were just more excited about that. And I was just happy to get 30 miles down the road. <laughs> and they hit the jackpot trifecta trifecta. They they got to pick up a, a hitchhiker, which sounds like they were pretty excited <laughs> about. Yeah. They got to pick up a through hiker, right? That's, yeah. uh, that's, that's pretty special. And they got to pick up legend. I mean, it's really unfortunate. They they didn't know what they had when they had you in that car. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not even sure they had driver's licenses, but it was fine. It worked out and I made it. And that's the joy of hitching. You never know what you're going to get. Now, do you think if I asked a Brit, which is the better accent, American or British, you think they'd automatically go with American just because it's, it's new and different? Probably, but I love asking this question of like friends from other places because they usually go with like the stereotypical Texas draw, which I think is hilarious. Like they think every American speaks with that uh, that Western Texas style, and you know, it's uh, I don't want to ruin it for them either. So, so do you feel you feel compelled then to keep up the Texas accent in your conversations with them? I mean, it's been years. You you talk with some of these friends. You. You, you make them think you're from Texas? Uh, no, I just make them think that even in the Pacific Northwest where I grew up, we still have a Texas accent. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Would you rather travel 100 years forward or backward in time? Whoa. Gotta be backwards because then I might be able to meet John Muir, right? Oh, there you go. Yeah. I, I think backwards would be... Uh, interesting especially if you have all the knowledge of today you could go back and really uh really just be a i don't know a trendsetter or something you could you could get like the bell-bottom craze out of the way early and then we could uh move on to more practical things i think it'd be pretty fun to go backwards and uh just have all this massive knowledge of the future do you think you'd be able to do that set the bell-bottom craze like you know 50 <laughs> years previous to, to when it actually happened or are there, are there a sequence of events and and styles that need to take place leading up to that i mean would bell bottoms be successful <laughs> just coming out of the blue maybe i don't know but you think what we're going back to 100 years we're in the roaring 20s like this is like probably the craziest time in american history it, you know it i think there's no question that'd be awesome to be living like great Gatsby or something and just uh, have this you'd probably sound really smart and well-read since you know we had the internet also we'd probably have a really short attention span compared to them but it would uh it'd be a fun time I think <laughs> fair point the roaring 20s and I'm gonna keep uh you know as I as I uh, look through the the photographs back then I'll keep my eye open for for Jeff Garmeyer in case you do get to go back you know maybe yeah. that that picture of of John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt uh, maybe there's a third person in that picture. The next time I look at it, it's, it's, uh, yeah, that's the only way you'll know. Cause I won't mention if I ever go back or not. That's right. Nice. All right. Question three, this, I know for a fact, this question has been the subject of, uh, you know, full length podcast, maybe even, you know, multi-episode documentaries. So I'm, I'm not expecting us to really solve this question right now, but just want to get your take on it. Are we living in a simulation? Yeah, definitely. Wow. Without pause, without hesitation, 
He says yes. Well, I mean, every other answer could be true, but it's easiest explained if we just say we're in a simulation. Okay. That's now, by default. You, that's the answer. Okay. Are you familiar? Are you familiar with simulation theory? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. You want to explain it to our listeners? Um, no. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I it's a fascinating rabbit hole to fall down, and you can really convince yourself either way, and it's pretty fun little debate to have with good friends or something because it it can kind of blow your mind. Yeah, I heard a little bit of a Joe Rogan podcast with oh, the dear. guy, the big proponent of simulation theory. And I wish I knew his name off the top of my head. I don't. But this guy laid it all out, you know, made all kinds of sense. And uh, every time Joe Rogan would say, yeah, that makes sense. I understand that. But, uh, you know, we're not in the simulation. This is, you know, we, we, he, he he could not wrap his mind around it, no matter how well this guy explained it to him. He just he couldn't understand that he might be a simulation. Yeah, because then it takes out like the free will and choice and stuff when yeah. we're so used to that we actually do that. Wow, yeah, we could ba- do like basic, two hours on this. <laughs> right. Yeah. The basic the basic theory on this is that, you know, I think many of us um have played back in the day SimCity or some some simulation, some computer generated simulation type of game. Um there's a bunch of them out there. And I think the theory is, is that uh, as as society progresses, if you, if you look, you know, 100 years in the future, 1,000 years in the future, you know, is there a likelihood that uh, a civilization will have enough computing power to develop a simulation and run, you know, simulations of their ancestors uh, and how they lived and what they did and all of that stuff? And I think the answer is yes. And so, you know, how many different simulations can you run? Would it be just one simulation or would it be, you know, almost infinite number of simulations how many how many copies of the game could be playing right now right and so if you look at it from that perspective there is one true reality so there's one chance one true reality this is you know one chance that this is the true reality and then there's almost infinite number of simulations that are that are could be running right now and we could be one of those simulations so the chances are greater that we are in a simulation you know 900 just say 999 1,999 out of a million, mm-hmm. or there's a one in a million chance that we're actually in the, you know, the uh, original reality. And so yeah. just by those numbers, uh, the chances are that we're in a simulation. That's what the theory says. Yeah. But if it scares you, don't think about it too much, but it's pretty wild. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If we are in a simulation, I don't know that it changes anything. I mean, we, we still got to get up and go to work or uh, go do FKTs at the, of the JMT or, you know, whatever it else is we're doing, we're still here. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't change anything, but it sure could change your mind about how you think about everything. Absolutely. All right. Let's go. Let's go back to the poll here. A little more reasonable question here. Cake or ice cream? Ice cream. Easy. Ice cream's probably top five favorite foods. It's one of the, one of the best foods out there. All right. Now let me, let me guess your, your favorite flavor. Just, you know, from our previous discussions, I'm thinking you're probably peanut butter and chocolate. Oh, I'd probably go chocolate chip cookie dough. It's probably the okay. pinnacle. But anything with mint in it is a no-go. Like it's ice cream with mint flavor, just not good. Mint not chocolate good chip, none. Nope. 
that, like if that's a first date and she gets that it's like oh man i guess this isn't going anywhere it's it's one of those memes she's a 10 but she ordered mint chocolate chip yeah so, that's no exactly it <laughs> yep i mean i don't have a lot of requirements but that's the only one <laughs> okay so if you take her out on the date and she does not order mint chocolate chip and it, it progresses this this plays right into our uh, fifth question of the hiking pole should you kiss with your eyes opened or closed <laughs> uh closed yeah closed yeah or you could do you could one eye it i guess if you're like worried you're gonna run into something i don't know <laughs> are you guys running while this is happening what's happening we could be if it's like mid fkt you never know <laughs> a couple's fkt no i think uh most of the time most situations you gotta you gotta go closed okay and why is that you gotta are, you imagine thinking, are you thinking that. of are you thinking of something else or are you think of uh thinking of someone else yeah exactly you're thinking <laughs> you're thinking of your ideal scenario just in a flat like a field of wildflowers and you know taking yourself out of a dark alley you're in or whatever so yeah i i don't know why but it just seems like that's the the thought the immediate reaction is they end up closed maybe you're resting your eyes too for later so i don't know okay question number six is is the client always right? Oh, no. <laughs> but probably 99 times out of 100, they are. But you got to leave a little wiggle room. There's got to be that one time you say, uh, sir, no, we are not going to do that. That is not appropriate. Yeah. Anytime it's a blanket, someone's always right. That's where you get into trouble. But most of the time, it's better to assume they're right. But you got to give yourself a little an option to at least uh, save some dignity or something. <laughs> All right. Question number seven. I'm not sure if you're a Star Wars fan or not, but uh, I'll ask it in the Star Wars version of the question. And if, and if you're not a Star Wars fan, then I will, I'll ask it the other way. So Tatooine or Hoth? Oh, wow. Uh, man, they both sound terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Oh, Maybe Tatooine with the two sons and you can, uh, it's, there's some prettiness out there, I think. Okay. So you, you choose the desert climate rather than the Arctic climate. Barely. I don't know. Hoth just does not sound appealing at all. Hoth is like, probably like Antarctica during the dead of winter, if anyone's wondering. And that just, I'd rather go colder, but not that cold. That's just too much. Okay. You are a Star Wars fan. You're right there. You're quoting all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan, but not to the level that some people are. So I would, I'd say I'm into it, but when you see the fandom of Star Wars, it's like, there's some levels that are just not attainable for how, how, how into it some people are. So you're not, you're not dressing up and doing live action, uh, role-playing. You're not LARPing out there in Star Wars, uh, costumes. I, I would, I just have not yet. So yeah. I wouldn't say I'd never do that. Put on that Prince Leia, uh, cool. chain link yeah. bikini outfit with your lightsaber. That would be my first choice for, yeah, for an outfit. Same. What would you wear to a convention? Star Wars convention. <laughs> I, I'd have to put on my Chewbacca outfit, but I, I'm hoping That's if a great I got an answer. I, if I got the Chewbacca outfit on, I'm hoping it's it, it's at Hoth and not uh, Tatooine. 
<laughs> I like that. I really like that answer. That's good. <laughs> Would you make the sound too when people interact with you? The Wookiee sound? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd have to get a, a simulated uh, you know, uh, uh, an app for that. I, I, I can't make that noise. Uh, yeah, there's probably an app so you could pull it off. Yeah, nice. All right, hey, let me do some quick math here. Get your score. Say, add this up. I got carry the five. Going to divide by the root of three. Multiply times pi. And we're going to adjust. We're going to adjust for the temperature of the lightsaber at uh, surface level here. And I come out with a pretty, pretty epic score of 44. Okay, nice. That is good. I don't know the uh, algorithm here, but I'm assuming that I did pretty well. <laughs> it's a secret formula yeah no it's only two people know it the same two people that know the coca-cola recipe that's right that's right you know as ben franklin said three people can keep a secret if two are dead wow this is very profound we hit star wars and ben franklin in the same minute that's incredible <laughs> what other podcast can you listen to that does that probably none but maybe there's one out there i'm not sure all right Hey, let's uh let's back up a little bit. You've been on here. This is the fourth time, uh, but just give us a quick thumbnail sketch of your background, where you grew up, and how you got involved in through hiking. Yeah, I was uh, born in Portland, Oregon, in the Northwest. Grew up in a suburb in Vancouver, Washington, just across the river there, and uh, really was introduced to the outdoors through fishing and going on backpacking trips where our packs weighed about 70 pounds and we'd carry in a rubber raft, a spare pair of shoes, two pairs of jeans and anything you might need just three miles from the car. So that was a very normal way to backpack in the 90s and early 2000s. And then when I was about 15, met two through hikers of the Pacific Crest Trail, or maybe three of them, a few through hikers and uh it was just a cool concept to me. Didn't think too much of it, but we fed them and did what we would be considered trail magic. And then fast forward to a year into college when I decided that I didn't like any of the things I was studying. So I decided to take a term off and go through hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And much like my background, I showed up with a 55 pound external frame pack and I remember I would try to get to 19 miles at, um, like in the first week, one of the days, just so I could round it up and say I finally did 20 miles, even though I couldn't make it that extra mile. If it was like 19.1, I'm going to count it as a 20-mile day. It's funny to think about now. Um, and then from there, I went and uh, kept up in the ante. I did the Pacific Northwest Trail. I finished out college, got a job, and the corporate finance world for a little while and decided that was not rewarding. I'd rather use my time not making lots of money and instead be outside. And so I uh, quit that career and ended up doing the calendar year triple crown and then the great Western loop and then FKT. So uh, speed records on the Arizona trail, the long trail, the Benhoti trail, the Colorado trail number of them and uh yeah slowly built up some um work and things in the outdoor industry and uh wrote a book and uh just i don't know it uh, surprises me what i fit into the last decade so just 31 and still building stuff and squeezing in as much as i can 
You know, and I think I've heard about um, your brief career in corporate finance before, but it always strikes me as just so <laughs> not Jeff Garmeyer. It, it just, it, it's like a disconnect. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little strange. I uh, I don't even know. That was such a different version of my life. I was like doing the very traditional thing of living in downtown Denver. I had like a two-bedroom apartment thinking of buying a brand new Tacoma, looking at putting a down payment on a house, and then I just blew it all up and did not go that route at all. So it was uh yeah, it's it's very strange. There's not a lot of crossover from that period of life to this one. Now you kind of just blew past a number of things there. I just want to go back real quick and explain to people who may be listening to the first time or or haven't maybe haven't heard of some of these things. The calendar year triple crown, that's where you do the three American long trails in one calendar year. Yeah. PCT, the AT, the CDT. And that's about is that seven thousand miles thereabouts? I think I hit seventy eight hundred miles for the total. Seventy eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a it's a good chunk. And I started the Appalachian Trail in early February. So it was my first real winter backpacking experience. And that was uh pretty eye-opening. I didn't quite I remember week it was like week two, I'm in the smokies and it hit like well into the negatives and snowed three feet. And it was like, what am I doing? I still have like 40 more weeks of this. This is week two. So now, when, when we started this year, I had talked to a number of people, um, a select number of people who had done the calendar Triple Crown, yourself included. I think before this year started, the number was at 13 people who have actually completed the calendar Triple Crown. This year, I think there are a number of folks attempting that are currently out there, um, thinking specifically of um, Quadzilla is out there on the trail right now trying to, to accomplish it. He, he seems to be doing very well. I think there's like three or four people right now in the midst of a calendar year triple crown attempt yeah i don't know it's hard to keep up and follow i know that at the time i was the youngest one to do it which is pretty pretty crazy because i did not know anything about what i was getting into but yeah pretty good friends with quadzilla talked to him some and uh actually fun fact about him i wrote an article about he finished the continental divide trail and a week later he run up he ran and won a hundred mile ultra marathon, which is like through hiking will get you into shape. <laughs> Crazy. That is nuts. Um, I, you know, I always ask people on the podcast, ask my guests, you know, where they're from, where they grew up and, you know, typically, you know, get, get pretty normal type answers. Grew up over in this part of the country, did this first got ex- exposed to, to through hiking this, in this way. His answer, Quadzilla's answer, was one of the most mind-blowing answers I've ever had on the on the podcast. He was actually born in China, and his father um, was a uh, dissident who gave public speeches, you know, speaking out against the Tiananmen Square um, mm-hmm. issue, the protests. And I think uh, the, it was looking like the dad was going to be thrown in jail, and so they, the family, actually sent. Uh, Quadzilla. Actually, his name's not quite. His name wasn't Quadzilla then. It was. I think it's Jack. Jack they sent yeah. Jack um, over to the U.S. by himself <laughs> at the age of like eight or nine, and he was adopted by uh, by a lady in the I think the southeast. Um, and that's kind of how he he picked up his uh, you know growing up in the southeast and and being kind of in a rural rural community. That's where he kind of picked up his love of the outdoors. But really, one of the most remarkable stories I've ever heard. 
Wow. Yeah, that is pretty wild. Makes it through hike seem a lot easier. But you're just having to survive at eight. Right, right. And then you also mentioned the Great Western Loop. Yeah. Yep. Tell us, uh, tell seven, us what, the, what the route is there. Yeah, it's a 7,000 mile loop around the west where you follow the Pacific Crest Trail north and connect it to the Pacific Northwest Trail, which you take 700 miles east to the Continental Divide Trail. And you take that south all the way to the Grand Enchantment Trail right around Doc Campbell's. And then from there, you follow the very rural and rugged Grand Enchantment Trail to the Arizona Trail which you take to the Grand Canyon. And then from the Grand Canyon to the Pacific Crest Trail, you have to draw your own route across the desert. And uh, the route I took involved 70 miles of waterless hiking across the desert. So it was uh, the biggest water carry I've ever done. That is nuts. Now, when I, I just read something recently where there's only there are only five people that have completed this trail. I'm not sure. I know that I was the second one and I think I heard of one other person that did it, but yeah, it's hard to keep track of all these things, but yeah, not a lot of people have done that. Yeah. I've got a future guest coming on and I know that um, just from my, my correspondence back and forth with, with the guest, uh, he said that he was the the fifth person to do it. So it'd be interesting wow. to to talk to him. Yeah, it's a it's a wild one because you get to combine so many different trails and styles of trails, and then like you're gonna hit all kinds of weather too, early season, late season. Um, I think that's my favorite one because you connect uh, your footsteps are connected for seven thousand miles, so it's a really cool. It's about as long as you could do in a hiking season, and also in a, a straight trail that's connected. Yeah, can we find that on your Strava feed? <laughs> I don't think so. I think watch technology is good, but I don't think a battery would last that long. <laughs> and if we're talking about the Great Western Loop, we also have to talk about my favorite story from that experience. And that is, uh, that's Jeff and the moose antlers. Yeah. Yeah. I know I came around a corner near Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and there were some antlers laying on the ground. And I was really excited because they were like moose sheds and moose thinking like maybe I'll even mail these home or something and then uh closer I got I realized they were attached to a uh, very very live moose animals and uh one of them got up and uh charged at me so it was I dove in the bushes and I read that bush or that uh moose are not very bright and have bad memories so I and bad eyesight so I hid behind a tree and eventually the moose kind of forgot what he was doing and ambled back and sat right back down where he was. But it uh, got the adrenaline flowing of having a thousand pound animal put his, put the same antlers you'd wanted to pick up a few minutes ago, just down on the ground and try to run right at you. So is that the strategy? You know, we've, we've talked about, you know, what to do when you encounter a bear, what to do when you encounter in Florida, you know, an alligator uh, mm -hmm. is the strategy with a moose to just kind of hide until it forgets about you. Um, I think this, yeah, I think the main strategy is as it's charging um, and you're running away from it or whatever, you want to weave because they're not super agile. Like, uh, And then, yeah, hiding behind a, a tree or something, avoiding eye contact. If they can't see you, they get pretty confused. Yeah, people have described me like that. You know, just <laughs> you know, give him time. He'll forget about it. He, he's confused. Uh... <laughs> he can't see you. He doesn't remember you. That's right. That's right. 
All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get down into the nitty gritty of the JMT FKT. We're going to hear all the details, all the uh, the glory, glory and the horror. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome back. We were talking to Legend, and we're going to get to the part that you've all tuned in for. You guys didn't tune in for, I know, discussion on simulation theory and, and Ben Franklin and the Roaring Twenties, but we went there anyway. Uh, we're going to hear about the, the JMT FKT. First off, Jeff, tell us about uh, what is an unsupported FKT. Define that for us. Yeah, it means you start a route, and from that start to the time you finish, that route, you cannot take any external aid. The only thing you can take is natural water sources or water from natural sources. And it goes so far as you have to carry out all your trash and everything too. Even if you happen upon a dumpster, you have to keep carrying your trash. So basically you are just self-contained from the start to the finish and uh, everything to start with, you got to finish with. Okay, now a supported FKT, you'd be able to violate some of those or, or do it a little bit differently than the the unsupported. Supported, you could have people uh, providing you food at different stops or you could dump your trash earlier. Yeah, basically supported is very similar to a race where you could have like 
kind of impromptu aid stations and uh, you could resupply with like friends and you could even have pacers out there running with you through the night and helping you with navigation. But uh, yeah, unsupported, you, uh, you can't even rely on uh, yeah people out there pacing you or doing it with you or else it takes away from that, that style. Okay. Now you, you now have the unsupported FKT for the John Muir trail. What was the previous record? Uh, the previous record was 73 hours. So that's three days and one hour for those who suck at math. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what is the new record that you set? Yeah, I took a whopping uh, 13 minutes off it. And so the new record is three days and 47 minutes. So 72 hours and 47 minutes for those who are good at math. Wow. That is, that's cutting it close. Yeah. The last eight miles were a headache because I'd done every step of the entire route multiple times before, but never that last eight miles. And it seemed, I, I believe it was still longer than eight miles and it took forever. And if anyone's done that Whitney portal trail, it's just terrible. You can see the parking lot for like an hour before you get there. And when you're looking at your watch and it's ticking down to getting close, it is not the greatest feeling. Yeah. I've said before that, that, that trail from uh, trail crest down to port down to the portal is, is one of the worst trails ever. There's not a clean footstep to be found anywhere. You got to watch every single step. There's all kinds of uh, rocks and uneven surfaces. It, it is a total pain. And then, yeah, you're right. You see the parking lot way in advance, which always is so discouraging because you're like, I'm almost there, but you just keep going and going and going. Yeah. And they say there's 99 switchbacks. There's probably more because 99 sounds like a made up number. So it's some of the switchbacks too are long and you lose like 10 feet. So they're just pointless and yeah, I don't have for the state of mind I was in doing that. I have no good things to say about that. I'd rather do two extra weeks and start from the Mexican border than have to start at Whitney Portal for climbing Whitney in the future. There you go. It's a pro tip right there. Yeah, pro tip. Yep. Just take the month off and avoid Whitney Portal. Okay. Now, at what point of the year did you decide, you know what? An FKT of the JMT, that sounds like something fun to do. I'm going to, I'm going to give that a shot. Uh, Tell us about the decision-making process there. What was your motivation? I thought about it seriously since 2019. I'd actually backpacked it and through hiked it at a more leisurely rate and thought about maybe I could do it um, that year in September or so. And then uh, life and COVID and last year, I just was a little too nervous that I wouldn't be successful, so I didn't do it. And uh, this year, I actually had three different um, permits for it, like a day out and canceled all of them, or seven days out, I got them, and then canceled all of them. And then until finally it was like, okay, I'm actually going to do it with this date. I think mean, it was the 26th or something I started. And so it had been a lot of uh, waffling back and forth, but probably – I had it all planned and ready and knew what I would take, but just the final plunge only happened five or six days ahead of time where I actually accepted I was going to hit the start line and go for it because it's a very competitive record and I was uh, not quite sure if I could pull it off. 
Okay. And let's talk about preparation. Um, two parts, the physical preparation. What, what, what did you do to train for this attempt? Well, since I was last on it, uh, after Cocodona, I have run so many races and been so many miles that it's kind of been a summer of maintaining a pretty good baseline. Um, I did slow down and do some more, uh, like, slower miles with a little bit of a pack and stuff rather than more running miles but the uh fitness was there i'd say much ahead of get ahead of time of the mental game where i just needed to fully be committed and think that i had a chance and that was a lot more difficult this summer to wrap my head around than uh, simply showing up physically able but not mentally motivated i guess because it's one of those things where you can have a great first day or a second day, but by the time that that uh, last night hits, you got to really have something there that is uh, deep intrinsic motivation that uh, you know is the reason you keep going. It's not really like a competitive thing or anything. You got to have this this reason that can get you through times when it's feels pretty or sounds pretty good to just lay down and sleep for a few hours and you have to do exactly the opposite. Wow. Now in terms of the, of the logistics, the prep for the logistics, I mean, how did you, uh, I guess you're not, there's no resupply, right? You're, you are just packing what you got. Are are you planning on doing this with, with no food, little food? I mean, 72 hours, you have to be consuming some, some fuel for your body. How did that work? Yeah, I usually plan for the first two thirds on something of a three day length, like two days of a pretty good try to get four to five thousand calories in. And then that third day, you have some food to eat, but you're not usually your body's kind of over trying to fuel and push at the same time. Um, so there is uh, really factoring that in and you're not out there eating fine cuisine. You're eating very uh, defined things that are high calorie per ounce and usually limited sugar. So you're getting more carbs and fats that will burn a little better and give you like more sustained energy versus anyone who's had a sugar crash that if you put yourself out in a record attempt or even a run and you have a sugar crash, it's pretty rough. So you try to avoid that when you're packing your, your food. So I took um, how I plan these is I have three gallon Ziploc bags and each day of food um, was in one of those. And that's what I would eat for that 24 hour period. And then I'd move to the next one, hopefully having consumed all the calories. But I was a little, um, I live at about 5,000 feet, but most of the trails above 10,000 feet and the altitude sucked a little bit of my appetite. So I finished with at least a couple pounds of food that I wish I would have consumed, but I guess it was just training weight. <laughs> wow. And did you go northbound or, or obviously you went southbound if you finished it at Whitney portal. So you went southbound, you start off at happy Isles in Yosemite. Yep. Yeah. So that direction is, I think a 4,000 foot net uphill, but why both me and Joe string bean who um, had it before me went that direction is it's the only way you can get permits unless you plan six months out. And so it was uh, kind of just destined to be that direction because it was the only permit I could get. Okay. Now you, you show up to happy owls. Are you alone? Yeah. Does anybody start out with you? Nope. Nobody start alone. Uh, sleep in the backpackers campground the night before my car is parked at the 
overnight trailhead parking and I uh, had everything packed, but woke up with the sun, maybe six in the morning, go over to my car, empty out my entire backpack and just repack it one more time to make sure I, I got everything and then amble the half mile or so to the start and then stand there and get bitten by a few mosquitoes until I find someone to walk by and take my start photo. And then that's when I uh, hit the watch and uh, the watch doesn't stop until I get to the Whitney portal trailhead. So by now, some of our listeners have figured this out. They've done the math, 72 hours, 220 miles. You're, you're averaging more than 70 miles a day. Yeah. Yeah. I think the goal was to average um, on elapsed time and pace uh, faster than three miles an hour, including stops and everything. So for three days, total movement of faster than three miles an hour was the goal. So I don't know about everybody else out there, but I've been in the Sierras. I've been there with a backpack on. I've hiked the, the John Muir Trail. And three miles an hour, I mean, there are there are sections of the trail when I was hiking it that I could do three miles an hour. There are many, 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 many more sections where there's no way I'm doing three miles an hour. I'm climbing at elevation. I've got a pack on my back. Um, I'm going uphill over, over passes. And that's typically like could be a mile an hour, mile and a half an hour. And so to do three miles an hour, 24 hours in a day, that gets you to 75, right? 75 oh. miles in a 24 hour period. Yeah. That is, that is almost impossible to believe. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's like all these adventures I can think about individual hours in the push while you're in the midst of it. But then when you look at the whole thing on aggregate, it's pretty insane that a body can, can do that. And that's, that's where that whole mindset and, and mental thing goes in of like if you're counting down the miles or you're thinking about it in the wrong way you have no chance it's got to be this perfect mentality you go into it with of sustained effort and my next goal is Glen Pass my next goal is this pass you cannot think of 220 miles or else you'll just quit out of just being scared because that's ridiculous that's right it's like the old adage how do you eat an elephant yeah, one bite, one at, a bite time. at a time. That's yeah. right. That's right. Now I imagine uh, that keeping up a three mile an hour pace for 24 hours a day for three days, there had to be plenty of high moments and plenty of low moments. You want to take us through some of those? Yeah. Um, I'd say the high moments, one of the big ones was getting to Donahue pass, which is about mile 36. And that's right when you exit Yosemite national park and I kind of think of it in my mind as, all right, you're in the thick of it. You're out of any cell service or connectivity. The people on the trail are mostly just backpackers from there on. So in my mind, it was a pretty big landmark and I got there in 10 hours. So it was like, okay, I'm holding up and I can do that. And so that was a really big confidence booster. And then from there, uh, yeah, every, the highs and lows just were jam packed. Like one moment I'd be, on the verge of falling asleep while walking and the next I'd have this like hit of adrenaline and like sprinting up a hill by near Red's Meadow or something and just thinking that it's so amazing to be out there and when you're on this like thin ice mentally and with sanity something as cool as a beautiful view of the night sky or something can turn your your mood around or stubbing your toe can send you into a spiral so it's just this trying to maintain as even keel as possible. But I would say the lowest point was 
maybe 30 miles to go, 25 miles to go just after Forrester Pass. I was so tired that I'm walking and the ground is bouncing. Like my eyes and brain cannot figure out how to make the ground level or anything. And I'm just going crazy. And I'm pretty, I have a good pace. Like I have a good shot at the record, but it's like, if I don't take a 10 or 12 minute nap, like I don't think I can mentally or anything even make it to the end. So that was a a really scary decision of like, let's just sleep and try to reset the body and then woke up and shot out of a cannon. It was like adrenaline, like crazy. But leading into that decision to sleep, I woke up on the ground at one point because I'd fallen asleep while uh, doing a little hobble jog down the uh, like near Tyndall Creek or something. And I just woke up on the like uh, sandy or gravelly ground and it was like oh dear this is not good i have a long ways to go and i can't even stay awake while running wow that is a that is a dangerous decision to take a nap right i mean you're out there by yourself you're exhausted how many you know how i don't know how many hours you've been awake up until that point how do you how do you ensure that you're going to get up in 10 minutes because if it were me if it were me i close my eyes i wake up two days later yeah. I mean, the timer app on my phone was uh, what I used continually, probably the most used uh, app. But yeah, it is scary. But in then trying to weigh rationally when you're so depleted and irrational, like I think I have to decide to sleep now or else I'm not going to be able to finish this thing. That was a very, I probably took 10 minutes of trying to make that decision. And it was like, I think it'll make me 10 minutes faster overall, but it's uh risky i think there's a number of risky things you're deciding in in those situations right now was it you that i was talking to jeff or was it another barkley competitor that um took a nap and and it went way longer than than expected and that kind of uh kind of it it was not me no it was not okay somebody else i was talking to it might have been uh it might have been wardian or uh, somebody else, I think they, they decided to to just close their eyes for a second. They woke up like four hours later, which was problematic in that, that environment. Yeah. I think uh, the sleep and the nap and everything is my, uh, one elite skill set. So that's what helps with a lot of these. And as I say, like, I'm not the greatest sleeper in real life, but the three or four times a year, I get to use this really good ability at operating under sleep deprivation. That's when it comes in handy. Your parents should have named you Napper. Yeah, you know, right. they could have manifested a little better napping. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned something earlier um, that struck my, caught my attention, and you talked about getting to um, Donahue in 10 hours, and that, that was kind of a good sign to you. Did you kind of have it mapped out in terms of checkpoints and uh, timing that you knew that you were on pace? Yeah, that first day I wanted to hit, the goal was Donahue in 10 hours, but like not any faster. I didn't want to go too fast that early on. So it was really cool to just nail the pacing. Not only was it like fast enough that I wanted to get there, but it was also like slow enough. And I felt good enough that that's where it was such a high. It was like, I just nailed exactly the time I wanted to get here. And if I'd gotten there in eight or nine hours, I would have been a little worried, like, this one's going to come back to bite me later, I think. So that's why it was such a big lift is just had known in my head, which is what a sustainable pace was. And I just 
felt sustainable and nailed it right there and you know entered the first night at a good pace and at a good spot and uh yeah that full first 24 hours i think i ended up with 77 or 78 miles that first day and it just felt like perfect like i wanted to hit that number um right around 80 and it just was it was good i just knew if if you go out too hard it's going to be real tough on that back end so felt good to be consistent and ride according to plan Okay. Now how much actual sleep did you get on the trail? Um, I think an hour and a half of actual eyes closed sleeping. Uh, I really struggled the first night. I wanted to get closer to 30, 45 minutes, but every time I would try to get myself to lay down and fall asleep, I just couldn't sleep. I was a little too wired or something. And um, it was like, if I can just sustain a little sleep a night, it'll keep me more sane for the last, uh, last trek through the night and up Whitney, but it didn't, didn't work out that first night. I was not very efficient, but, uh, yeah, after once get about 48 hours in or maybe even 36 hours in, I could just put my pack down, use it as a pillow, close my eyes and be asleep for as long as I set my timer for. And then I could wake up when it went off and be walking again in 10 seconds. It's the strangest mentality. That is wild. Now, 24 hours in, you're about 77 miles. Where does that place you on the trail? Uh, just under Silver Pass. So I'm headed up Silver Pass. I think it's the Cascade uh, Cascade Trail or something down there. You cross that bridge and you're headed up Silver. That was uh, my morning. And that's one of my, that was the first pass in 2011 when I first did the Pacific Crest Trail. That was the I think the first and only pass I ever did alone. So it was pretty cool experience to be alone this time going up it and having so much more experience and knowledge, but kind of a cool connection that I got to relive that second morning. Mm -hmm. And then 48 hours in, what, what, about what mileage were you? See, um, I think that was 72 hours in that period. So that would put me at like 150, I guess. Um, man, so where would that be on the trail? Somewhere after Muir. So coming up Mather, I would have been on like the Golden Staircase, Palisade Lakes area, right around that, that timeline. Nice. And what time of the day did you hit the Golden Staircase? Uh, perfect, like morning light, just, uh, just light enough. Just put the headlamp away. I remember like just feeling a bunch of energy because it's such a cool feature and uh, it was cool to hit it in the the daylight. And uh, yeah, it's a weird thing. You from like two to four, you have no energy. You're fighting a lot of things. And then that first bird starts chirping and the sun comes up a little bit and you just have this immense energy back and you feel like a human again. And that's uh, exactly how Mather and that golden staircase up to Mather felt. Yeah, I think I think it's a I think it's common to have kind of a love hate relationship with the Golden Staircase. I mean, I hate the idea of of doing that much elevation in that short a distance, but at the same time, it is it is one of the more spectacular features of the trail. And when when you get up there, it's it's just awesome. Yeah, to describe what they did to build the John Muir Trail, that would be the perfect photo of like they went to this length to build a trail through these mountains, and it's incredible. Yeah. All right, let's 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 go to the the final eight miles. So at this point, you've got an hour and a half of sleep over the past 
you know, 70 hours. Um, and how are you feeling at this point? Just mentally, are you, are you hallucinating at this point? Um, I'm not hallucinating anymore. The sun has just come up. Uh, so usually hallucinations will lessen and a huge burst of adrenaline hit. So everything is feeling like not normal, but a little bit like I'm at least connected to the simulation we're living in. But uh, from <laughs> trail, so I hit Whitney and then backtrack. It's like two miles back to trail crest. And that's from there to the bottom is roughly eight miles, they say. And that's the only eight miles of the entire trail I'd never done before. So I'm entering this thinking I have no clue how long it's going to take, what I'm dealing with how many tourists or gay hikers or anyone's going to be out on the trail that I'm trying to sprint by. And so it's just like this blanket of anxious energy trying to uh, shuffle down the trail, which as you mentioned has terrible footing. And that's basically how the next two hours went. Like, I don't know when this ends, but I know I have to cover this as fast as I can and hope that, you know, it's enough. And I thought I might, break the record by 30 or 40 minutes but that trail just kept going and was way slower than i expected in fact two miles from the end um, when you can really see the parking lot and the trail gets a little smoother i just started running um i think my mile 218 was like a 620 mile and i'm just running it with a pack on because i'm like i cannot miss this by a minute or something so i'm just sprinting down the trail and i have no idea how my legs could even handle that that is phenomenal now did did you experience what almost every other hiker experiences on the way down from from uh trail crest down to whitney portal and that is the ranger who shows up and wants to check your permit <laughs> no i i did not see a <laughs> ranger looking to check my permit and in fact, I would have probably run right by them. Maybe I'll come back later to show them my permit. But there was once I got to within probably once I could see the parking lot four miles to go or something, there was no way I was going to stop for anyone. And whether that's right or wrong, I would have even hiked back up four miles to show my permit. But I was not going to jeopardize it when there were just minutes to get like minutes to play with there. That would have been so frustrating, I imagine. You know, the ranger's like, you, you you, shall not pass. Let me see your permit. So what I did do, um, I never did get checked, but as a precaution, I had taken a photo on my phone and was like, maybe this will be good enough to just be like, I'm going for the record. Here's a photo. And so it was like, this will be quicker than having to grab it from the back of my pack or something. Yeah. Here, run along beside me and I'll yeah. show you. <laughs> yeah. Here, jump on my back and I'll just show you while I, I got to keep going or something. Now, did you ever get slowed down by other hikers who maybe wanted to have conversations with you about what you were doing? And um, a, a few times, but I was always, I love having conversations with people. And a couple of times they're like, no, you, you should go. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll go. But one was by uh, Lake Edison down uh, um, after coming down Silver Pass, you drop way down. Um, another was on Glen Pass and a few hikers and just was asking them about their trips. And they're like, no, don't, don't ask us. Just keep going. Like got a record to set. He's like, this was a good excuse to catch my breath, but I guess I'll keep going. They did not want to be the footnote to the story of why you did not make the FKT. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But 
it's it's fun to interact with people and it's everyone's on their their own journey out there whether it's three days or three weeks so i at least like to ask their name and ask how it's going but it was funny to get turned down for having a real conversation with a number of people out there now i know it was a low water year we've got an historic drought going on in, in california but uh so did that make the river crossings kind of very not eventful yeah actually my feet only got once and i could have avoided it but i just wasn't thinking but i got my feet got a little bit wet in evolution creek and that's the only one the rest of them there was didn't even have to get wet so it was i've never been out there this time of year i've always done it um at least a month earlier so when i've been out in the sierra and i was just shocked at how low some of the crossings i felt like i was risking my life to get across were like ankle deep at most but just rock hops it was very different style than than my past yeah now you mentioned earlier when you started this you waited for somebody to walk by and and kind of document the your start time is that part of the normal procedures for documenting an unsupported fkt um actually this one i just wanted a good photo to show as the start i didn't really and it was like i can wait as long as i want because nothing matters until i start but uh yeah i tried to take one with the timer on my phone and it was like you're here. This is a big deal. Why don't you just wait five minutes for someone to come up? So it was more just uh, my own ego wanting to document it with a better photo than I was going to take myself. So okay. And at the end, I had the same thing. I finished, stopped everything, took like a selfie, but then waited for someone to actually take a coherent photo that looked a little bit better. <laughs> Got it. Now is it, who do you, do you have to submit the, you know, the start time, the finish time, these photos in order to you know prove yeah. that you actually did this? Yeah. Start time, finish time. Um, all the photos that are on the original, like on my phone, cause then they'll have the, the metadata of the time they were taken and stuff like that. And then I also track the whole thing on my watch and then, uh, I've, um, some live tracking and stuff too. So yeah, with uh, the more competitive ones, especially the key is to you want more evidence, the better. And uh, yeah, I think that yeah, you just try to capture as much as you can, and you know, you just you write up your report too, and everything matches up, and that's uh, kind of how they can verify it. But the GPS watches, compared to when I started these, really add a lot is being able to match up like he was here he was at forester at this time according to the file and that's also when the photo was taken it's like boom makes sense so helps a lot with the gps stuff and that's actually on strava if anyone wants to nerd out on some data so you have that on strava but not the great western loop i don't i don't know yeah i couldn't quite pull off seven thousand mile route that would be amazing if i could keep it tracking for the seven thousand miles well 72 hours 47 minutes congratulations that is uh that's legendary it, it took a while but you are finally finally living up to your name thanks no i'm i'm gonna ignore that because you know i want to keep striving for for more i don't want to just rest now that uh, you know, i'm getting close to living up to it i'll just always pretend there's more work to do 
Now, this is typically the point where I'd ask you what's next. What's next for Legend? But I'm going to tell you what's next because you know you, you mentioned it earlier that you, you you're in great shape right now. I mean, you've now got some real experience in staying awake and reaching your end endpoint destination after you know 72 hours. I think this is perfect warm up, perfect training for the Barclays. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think I'll I'll squeeze more things in before the Barkley, which would be next March. But yeah, I, I agree. I'll I'll put an application in again this yes. year. All right. And again, just throwing it out there, if you get accepted into the Barclays, you need an extra crew member to uh to do some stuff. I'm I'm always uh I'm there for you. That you're always open that weekend? Always open. I'll I'll make it happen. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> What is what are you going to be doing between now and the Barkley? Uh, well, in twelve days, I'm running a hundred miler, so no big deal. You know, I've got a full week of rest, and I'm ready to jump back in and do something more. And then, uh, yeah, looking at maybe an FKT or something the rest of the year, but just keep the the good fitness going, and yeah, we'll see. But uh, it's called Plain Hundred Miler, and it's. I think there's one aid station, but it's pretty much an unsupported hundred miler. Wow. Is it flat? Uh, no, it is no. not. It's up by Leavenworth, Washington. Well, good luck in that. Hey, legend, after uh, 72 hours and 47 minutes uh, and lack of sleep in this haze, do you know where we are right now? Probably the pro tip of the week. Oh, man. Can't put anything by this guy. He knows it. The pro yeah, tip I, I so. of the week. That's right, half calf. Uh, now is the time for for legend to share some trail wisdom to make our listeners' next outdoor experience even better. So, what what bit of wisdom do you have for us this time, legend? Oh man, I think uh, let's just go with where I was just at. I think that uh, there's like I think a lot of people take these great photos of natural things and stuff, but the pro tip and what I've loved doing in the last decade plus is you want photos of yourself in those places. That's what make them unique and stuff. And so whether it's asking someone to grab your photo or having a small tripod or something, that's that part that there's probably 10 million photos of Yosemite, but there's only going to be one of you in Yosemite. So I think it's really cool to just plan and make sure you're getting yourself in those photos because at that point, just Google a better photographer who took the same exact photo. So so focus on capturing your experience, not just what Half Dome looks like, because it's uh, it's special, but it's a lot more special if uh, you can show your grandma, it's, it's your face in that photo. So that's uh, been a cool thing to look back on, just in making the point to, even on the longest or the uh, quickest FKT or when it's cutting it close by 13 minutes, trying to get a few photos with myself and it makes it feel a little bit more special. Well said. All right, there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Legend. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Jeff, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Yeah, um, there's a number of ways. Uh, mostly you can find everything through freeoutside.com, but on Instagram, it's the free outside. Twitter's Jeff Garmeyer. Uh, there's a free outside YouTube channel, free outside Facebook page. Uh, pretty much my brand and uh, also the title of my book. So you can find that there's also I do some substitute teaching. So there's some good TikTok content on that where you can see a very different side of me. That's pretty, 
pretty fun. Um, but yeah, it's uh, pretty approachable and stuff. So if you have questions, shoot me an email and then uh, remind me about that email like a week later because sometimes they get lost in the shuffle. So just like those three Brits that picked you up in the in the car as you were hitchhiking, I wonder if the schools and the the, <laughs> the classes if they if they know exactly who they have with them on that day you're subbing. Well, one day I was doing a fifth grade class and they found my YouTube channel, so that was pretty hilarious. The second half of the day, there was no paying attention; they were just like trying to subtly watch YouTube videos, and so uh, the kids are a lot more. Uh, intuitive and able to find stuff than the other teachers it seems but that was a pretty funny moment that sounds about right blew their mind yeah yeah and i also saw something new uh i think it's new backpacking routes is that is that a new new uh thing you got going? Uh, yeah i've been doing that started that in the pandemic so it's a couple years old but that is uh just add route so it's the john muir trails on there uh a number like anything from the Arizona trail to something more obscure, like the sawtooth wilderness loop. It's just a lot of backpacking options that um, might be close to where you live and then all the resources to do them. And the genesis and the goal with that was uh, there's a lot more routes out there that just, there's not good info and it's hard to find and you don't need to have to fly from New Hampshire to Reno to do the John Muir trail because you probably have something epic in your backyard. So it's a good way to figure that out and just plan some adventures. Okay. And where can we find that information? Uh, Backpackingroutes.com. Got it. Got it. All right. So remember to check out the, the JFM pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamuir at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. All right, Jeff, I know this is one of your favorite parts. We're also looking to you to share a recommendation for some kind of outdoor adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. This could be a documentary, it could be a book, a YouTube channel. What do you What do you have for us? Yeah, uh, we are going to be doing a film tour for a film on when I set the Colorado Trail unsupported record in 2020. So that'll be this fall we're dropping the trailer here in the next week or so so just a subtle plug on my own adventure media recommendation and then um beyond that um man there's so many good books out there uh hmm. oh uh i think uh okay the participant by my friend dylan harris on um his he videos and does a lot of movies about athletes that go after um like 100 mile races and things like that and this film is him going after one he was like i want to be able to relate to the people running these things so he cataloged the experience of what goes into running a 100 miler and it was a really cool inside look into someone who's been exposed to some of the most well-known athletes in in the country and in the sport and then it's like his attempt to uh, run a hundred biler. And so it's a really cool, it's on YouTube. And uh, I think it's under the air Viper running channel and it's called the participant. The participant. I'm going to check that out. That sounds awesome. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What, what did we miss from the FKT? What didn't I, I ask you about? Wow. This is a great question. Um, 
Man, why have you not asked me? Hmm. I think you asked me uh, almost everything. Although the, so I've been at Mount Whitney now four times and I've tried to be up there for sunrise twice and it didn't work out. And by not trying this time, I ended up on top of Mount Whitney for the most spectacular sunrise. And it was one of those like serendipitous moments that it was just very cool because never gotten the timing exactly right. And this time by literally not trying at all, nailed it. So it was just a, a very special and personal experience up there that was part of a some a bigger adventure as well. Sometimes the simulation just allows everything in fault to fall into place. Yeah, it was it was magical. Just you know, that one thing you don't even try out, but it still works out perfectly. It was pretty wild. All right. Hey, that's a wrap from the John Freakimir studio. Any shout outs to friends and family legend? Um, sure. Yeah. I'll give a shout out to my uh, good friend, Jason Fitzpatrick, who has the best uh, or probably the most popular film on the John Muir Trail. So if you are wondering what exactly it is the John Muir Trail was and that I did, it's called Mile, Mile and a Half. And I would check that out. There's also a film he did on, I think it's either on YouTube or Vimeo called Unsupported, which catalogs John Muir Trail FKT attempts. So those are two ways to uh, see what in the heck goes into something like this. Yeah, Jason Fitzpatrick, awesome guy. He he was a, a guest on the podcast as well. Had a lot of fun talking to him. He does um, he does a podcast that he co-hosts with oh uh, the creator of uh, Jeff Hester. Jeff Hester, that's right. Creator of the yeah. Six Packs Challenge, Six Pack of Peaks Challenge. Um, really good stuff. Both those guys are just fantastic guys. A lot of fun to talk to. Yep, absolutely. Check out their podcast too. They have a, a lot of cool guests spanning a lot of different niches. Yep. All right. Well, hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've had the parking lot in sight for an hour and it seems like you're never going to get there. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. Thank you.